So, I'm going to explain the assignment, which I should probably pull up. And then... Um, wait, wait, wait. Before... Uh, are we playing Rocket League? Yes? No? Um, and are, are we doing yeah, the assignment? Um, no, yeah. we can be playing Rocket League. I totally forgot about that. I just wanted to... Sh I was so excited about sharing this information. Found it. All right. So you boys ready? Yep, let's do it. All right. All right. Play casual, blah, blah, blah. Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesse's fucking ready to play some Rocket League with his non-existent controller. Oh, right. That's what you were talking about, Rocket League. I didn't get that. Yeah. So this this podcast episode, or at least part of the Rocket League and Ramble episode, the assignment is create a 12-minute podcast episode to address one of the following topics. I'm not going to read them all. We chose, or I chose, a particular topic for college students preparing to be middle and high school teachers. Your audience is college students preparing to be middle and high school teachers. Um, and I, I chatted with Jesse briefly before settling on a topic. And so I have decided that a good topic, based on what we've discussed in the class already, is that we are going to be talking about how best to reach, to connect with students, how the, the, the good ways for teachers to connect with students. So, uh, I'm, what, what you, level of students, what level of students? To middle and high school students. That's what the, okay. uh, the assignment is. So that's what we're going with. The, the, the way to best engage with students, um, or connect with them, however you want to phrase it. I think, I think there's definitely something to be said about like, teachers not being maybe not maybe maybe i don't know if this is exactly what you mean but like teachers being fallible sort of thing mm. i think if a teacher is is like obviously willing to admit mistakes and like do that sort of stuff then that goes a long way because then the teacher it's sort of like i guess i like those teachers that are like i'm in this with you as well like i'm also learning i'm also doing this and stuff like that i have one teacher who literally on every on every freaking PowerPoint, he makes a spelling mistake on, on something. Okay. And I'm beginning to think he maybe does it on purpose just to, like, get us to laugh about how bad he spells. Hmm. Um, but, like, admitting, okay, yeah, I made a spelling mistake. Let me fix that real quick. Or something like that. Or just, like, that failability of the teacher, I guess. That the teacher, just because the teacher's the teacher doesn't mean they know everything and that they're, like, perfect. Yeah, and, like, it, it makes the, the instructor appear human, I guess. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it makes it a little more personal. That's that's good. That that's a really good point, Phil. Um, that like being able to acknowledge that you're not perfect as an instructor. Um, I yeah. I think you're right. I think I think your students will respect you more for it if if you treat both yourself and them as humans and not teacher and instructor. And um, yeah, and and just to keep going off that, um, in tutoring training, we're always taught like constantly, like almost every time it's it's brought up. It, this idea that it's okay for tutors to say I don't know and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine. Um, and I think the same goes for teachers. Jesse, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good point. I mean, when you first say like erasing the student-teacher dynamic, you know, like that that boundary. Yeah, I, I cringe a little bit because I, I think okay. there is definitely some importance to having boundaries. And I have a, I have mm. a story from this about it was actually today. So I'm, I'm doing a placement today, so I'm, I'm at a school. And I won't talk too much about the program for confidentiality reasons with the students, but it has some students who have struggled in the past with kind of the normal school environment. And okay. um, I had a kid come up to me today, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? 
and he said, um, wishing I was high, how about you? And, uh, <laughs> and I kind of laughed, you know, I thought it was okay to laugh. And later on, he like told me about how, you know, his mom stole his weed and that he ended up having it later in the day yesterday. And um, so that's one area where like, as a peer, I might start talking or like ask him, I would say like, oh, like, how was your marijuana experience? You know, there, there's, there's ways. Of yeah, maybe, uh, maybe phrase that. That's, that's actually how you ask people after they've <laughs> yeah. been high. How was so, your marijuana experience? So Jesse, so not, not necessarily erasing that boundary, but yeah. it doesn't have to be super strict, rigid, I am the teacher, you will treat me as your superior all the time. Sure, totally. And, like, also, I I didn't, like, start reprimanding him or discouraging weed smoke. You know what I'm saying? I just kind of, like, smiled and changed the topic and talked about Yeah, because, like, cool like program, I'm, you know? I've, I'm thinking back, I'm thinking back to our time in high school together at St. Joe's. Like, you look at what I feel are the teachers that did the best job of connecting with their students. You look at guys like and uh yeah you got one guy breaking out a glockenspiel in class and all sorts of wacky antics and apparently jumping out of a second story window at one point and you got a guy that like constantly roasts everybody in class and like makes your mom jokes like i feel like that that's more of like the the breaking the teacher student dynamic that i was referencing yes yeah no and i love that of like there you you could still be authentic right Mm-hmm. And authenticity doesn't mean no boundaries, but like... Yes, if, okay, authentic yeah. is a great word. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think the perfect example of that, because he was like super funny, super down to earth, but also you knew that like you could not screw around in his class, right? Like it, like the boundaries were that very clear. Perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like on one hand, you can't speak in his class, but on the other hand, he was super funny and a great teacher, and I loved every second of his class. There's, there's definitely... I don't know if I've ever had a teacher like this, but there's definitely like those teachers like that you always like hear about or whatever that are like cringy. They like try to be your best friend yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And that's like a stere that's like a stereotype. It's like yeah. a teacher trying to like be everyone's best friend and just be like wacky and whatever. Um and I think those just don't end up going well because that's not the case. Like first of all, there's an age gap, especially with middle middle and high school. Like maybe the wage gap is only like ten years, but there's still there's still that I guess age difference that just has an impact. Yeah, there's there there will be a generational gap. Yeah, exactly. And so like I think it's I think it's a balance because like no one likes the super strict teachers. If had just been strict without like punching someone every now and again, um, <laughs> <laughs> you should really need the context for that one to work. Yeah, so. I would like to, I would like to explain here that that all boys high schools have their own kind of dynamic like. Like mm. when I try to explain why he was a good teacher, people are always like, "It's impossible." Like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, it's really hard to get that across. He came up to me and grabbed my little tuft of curly hair and pulled on it, and that was like, "Yeah, that's." I, I wouldn't recommend that to education students. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of a kind. Can I change topics a little bit here? Yeah, go for directions. it. Directions. I want to talk a little bit about um, something we're saying about like like connecting students in terms of like how authentic to be. Okay. And I think that one thing that I know happens in English classroom, and I think happens in other classrooms too, is if you want students to be vulnerable, right? I think yes. like, if that's another thing that teachers are known for, you know, is that 
have the on- honor, really, it's a blessing, I see as a gift of being people's, like, confidants, you know, where people share things that are really hard and vulnerable with teachers that they trust. And I find- Yeah, but you have, you have to establish that trust first. Yeah, you have to establish that trust first. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to be vulnerable yourself. Right. And but but there there is still you still have to acknowledge that there is kind of a line where you can't be like so vulnerable to the point of like disrespect. Yeah. And how so? Well, so I'll, I'll draw from my coaching experience back when I was like for it was like my first or second year, like actually coaching. And I think it was my second year because I, I knew a bunch of the kids already from having coached them before. Um, and so I was like getting really friendly with them. And, like, we were having a good time. And each practice, like, the practices were going fine with it. Like, they were still paying attention. But, like, we were joking around and stuff. And eventually it got to a point where we had a practice and no one was paying attention. No one was listening. Everyone was just goofing around. And, like, on one hand, yeah, they're kids and they're not going to pay attention. But on the other hand, I feel like that was partly on me because I was also, like, goofy and joking around too much up to that point. Sure. Like, I I didn't walk the line... As, mm-hmm. as well as I could have. Got yeah. And so you're almost saying that, like, you being silly kind of gave the students permission to be silly. Yeah. Take so, like, like me me goofing around sometimes. Like, because I, I have a better idea, I think, of when it's appropriate and when it's not at practice to goof off. Because, like, I'm the coach. Yeah. Not to sound, like, elitist or anything. But I, I don't know if they have that same awareness. And so they see me goofing around a lot. And they're like, oh, we can goof around a lot. Absolutely. But, like, the time that they choose to goof around is the exact time that I'm trying to teach or to coach. And I think um, that just speaks to, like, this idea of teacher setting the example. And I think it applies in both scenarios in terms of goofiness, right? Or goofing off, whatever that might be interpreted as. But also in vulnerability. If this was sort of what Jesse was saying, you be vulnerable first to allow the teachers to be vulnerable or to allow the students to be vulnerable with you. But... That's also like a line because like if you're going like it's also like, yes, you want to be vulnerable with the students, but also like if you're like going through a divorce or something, that's not like something you bring up in the class. Yeah, exactly, know? Phil. That That's that's exactly what it is. Like there's there's a line that you shouldn't cross. And I think I think we've seen that in teachers already because like, you know, like there's that teacher policy of like, I won't be friends with you on social media until after you graduate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a physical manifestation of having some kind of boundary while still like being cool and being like in with the students. I, I think, um, this idea came to me of when you're teaching. So when you're teaching, uh, having the students do some sort of, uh, reflective assignments that aren't necessarily directly related to the course. Yeah. So can um, you give me an example? So, so the thing I was thinking of and the, the, the thing that made me think of this example is I have, so my honors advisor, right? Okay. Um, I had him for a class for um, English first English Irish literature or whatever. Okay. Irish film and literature, and but I also have have him as an advisor. And as an advisor, um, we always had to like as part of the honors program, we always had to write engagement overviews, and um, meaning like here's sort of a, a bunch of things that I'm hoping to do this semester, and I'm hoping to be engaged in, and this is what I hope to learn from them and stuff like that. It's not like anything big it's just sort of a sort of overview of this is what i'm up to this semester um and we have to submit that every every semester to the honors director and the thing is i think because of those 
we have a very good relationship. Like everyone in the honors program has a very good relationship with this, with the advisor. And as a teacher, it sort of came through because like everyone had sort of done this. So everyone sort of already knew each other in that sense. And so like, I'm wondering, it's, it's not a direct parallel, but I'm wondering if like, as a teacher, you're teaching a subject and then you have the students do some sort of reflective exercise, whatever it may look like, that's not related to chemistry or English or math or whatever, um, just to sort of connect. Because like a lot of times teachers are like, this person is a math teacher. And so I learned yeah. math from him or this person is this, you know? And so if you do, if you do some sort of other thing that's not necessarily directly related to the subject that you teach, maybe that's a way into the broader student. Totally. If, well, if that makes sense. Phil, that's actually really interesting. Cause like I've had the thought, um, the last few weeks with like trying to, you know, figure out a teaching style and all that, that like there's, I, I feel like there should be either classes or like moments in class or like X amount of time that isn't for me, chemistry. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. So like, I feel like an underrated part of biology class in high school was Fridays because every Friday he would come in and it was like comedic in how long it was, but we would have like a 10 minute prayer and because like private school, you know, and like looking, looking back on it, I feel like that was incredibly beneficial because like Mr. Mr. is a very religious man and he's like really showing a, a vulnerable part of him in opening up to this prayer. Cause like he means every word he's like pulling out headlines and, and quoting things. And so, um, but like looking back on it, that 10 minutes of Mr. like kind of showing part of his soul to us or whatever you want to call it really helped both as like a reset for the students. And also just as like a, he's not just a biology teacher. This is a, this is a person. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like that's a decent example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Can I jump in here? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Love it. Love it. Great point, Phil. And I think that's so important of like being able, like if the topic is connecting with your students, it's like you're not going to be able to connect with students if you're just thinking about chemistry all the time or if you're just thinking about literature. I um I took some notes on this, John, when you told me the topic yeah. earlier today. And when I was just wow, kind of you. bullet pointing, you know, like what are the the ways to connect to your students. The first thing I, I said was every student has a thing. And as a teacher, I think beyond teaching English, right? Beyond whatever I have to teach them, my job is to figure out their thing. That's spot on. Engage them. I love that. Like I've been doing that in my, in my recent placement. Like I know that one of my students, his thing is bikes. The kid loves his bike. He loves riding his bike. He loves riding his bike into traffic. And we had a conversation about his bike, right? And the next day, after I figure this out, he shows me a picture of his bike and how he just put in, like, new spokes on it or, like, some kind of thing about it, you know? So yeah. now I can ask him about that anytime we're together. How's your bike doing? Do you like the new colors? You know, like, and it's like a yeah, thing. Yeah, you found his thing. And because, like, like, finding the thing, whatever it is, I think serves like the ideal purpose of connecting with students then because you're showing a side of yourself as a teacher that isn't oh i'm such and such a teacher so like me me finding my student one of my students thing right whatever whatever their it factor is or the thing that they're passionate about um i am showing myself as a person who isn't just a chemistry teacher but they're also opening up to something that they care deeply about and i think that's i think that might be the exact balance that we're talking about yeah and 
And you have a mutuality there, you know, like I think going back to your very first point, John, about like the mutuality of like that student teacher dynamic is that the student should be teaching this teacher just as much as the teacher teaches the student. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's a two way street. All right, guys, um, that is, I think, a little more than 12 minutes. Um, So I just wanted to stop here and thank you. Thank all three of you for offering your insights and your opinions. I think that was a really good conversation. Awesome, John. Awesome. Yeah. So if you want to keep going, we can. But I just wanted to put a little bit of a stoppage in there so that I can use, I think it's like 20 minutes at that point that I can like trim up a little bit. That's like another thing that sometimes irks me about like college students sometimes. Because I feel like I see so many Snapchat stories of like, oh, I have a three page paper due tomorrow and blah, 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 blah. Like complaining about like the work they have to do. Or like um, saying like, oh, this teacher's this teacher is so awful. Like he just wants to do this, that, and this, right? And like mm-hmm. I don't know. I've just it just irks me, I guess, because like it just seems to me like they're just not putting in the effort. Like I feel like they Ooh, wouldn't the student from the student's perspective. Because like if the teacher really like irks you so much, is it because is it because he's actually like a bad person or like? Is it because you're just like not interested in the class and that's fine? Okay, that's not, I want to just interject for a second here. It's not a binary operation here. That's true, that's true. Like there there are many other possible reasons for the Mm -hmm. student complaining about this class. For sure, for sure. Um, I I just needed to interject and put that in there. Continue. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it just irks me. I guess maybe, you know what? I think the thing, it's fine that like, you're annoyed that you have work, but like I, maybe the thing that irks me is that they have they feel the need to post it to social media. Why does that irk you? Because like it almost seems like they're like asking for pity in a sense. Yeah, you know. No, I get you, Phil, because I I see things like that, and I'm like, well, so I so like I also you know sometimes will feel like oh I got so much work to do, but then I do it and it gets done. I rarely complain about the work mm-hmm. that I have to do because it's like for a class that I chose to take. Yeah, and, and you signed up for the class and you're yeah. signed up for college. Okay, yeah. I'm going to take I'm going to try to take both sides of this argument at the same time. First all of all, right. just because you go to college for a certain degree doesn't mean you sign up for a class. Also, both of you guys, oh, Max left the party. Both of you two in particular are very not present on social media. You guys do not post a lot. And so I can understand you guys not sharing that kind of thing. Um, I also, for the most part, do not share on social media. I would never complain. I would never post a Snapchat and be like, oh, I have an eight-page paper due. This is awful. I would tell my friends in person, I have an eight-page paper due. This is awful. I don't know if you guys would. But I have also, as I'm sure you're aware, frequently used Snapchat as just a way to vent. And when I post those, those venti snaps... And I, I try to make this clear to everybody. I don't ever, like, I'm not seeking attention or pity, um, which is how sometimes it comes across. And I completely understand that it looks like that. But I'm never looking for that. I just, I'm trying to vent for myself. It's it's not a post to anybody. It's just a post for myself. And so there's the there's the distinct possibility that that is what that snap is for. It's possible. I know. It just irks me when, like, every other day it's like... I got a comment about Staying that. Staying up until 3 a.m. Yeah. Go ahead, Jess. I don't know. I think that getting things done is not 
like some objective, like trying hard thing. Can you elaborate, please? I mean that. You mean like, like just because like just more... because you're working a lot on it doesn't mean you're gonna get it done. No, I I mean that doing things that are doing things on time in a way that's like conscientious is not a choice. It is a choice, but not in the way that people say it is. You know what I'm saying? Do you mean like some people are inherently better or worse at it? And yeah, so and it's like, like... A, and easier or harder. Like for some people, sure. like getting an assignment done like with enough time, well, is really like easy. Not easy, but like it's not. It comes more naturally. It's no big deal. And for other people, it's really hard. And it, there's kind of this assumption that that's like a laziness thing. Whereas, like, yeah, with, you're right. With any other skill you could be good at or bad at it's like a oh some people need to get better at this because they're in a different place right like like if there's a student like if i have two students and one of them writes a really bad essay but turns it in on time and another one writes a really good essay but turns in three days late right what are you gonna say mm-hmm. this one student is not great at english but is trying at least at least they're like working hard and, like, I could, like, assist them and help them do better. Like, you'd treat that student with more mercy. Like, which student are you more understanding of, right? The student who turns in a good paper late or the student who turns in a bad paper on time? Usually, people are more understanding of the person who turns in the bad paper on time and says, okay, we can work on the paper now, right? What if we treated time management like it was a skill that could be developed just like writing papers is, rather than it's just, like, your choice to be lazy? Okay, so then in this, in this scenario... Mm-hmm. The student who turns it in on time, you then workshop the paper with them. And the student who turns it in late, you tell them the paper's great. You just, like, talk through their writing process and see if they can either speed it up or start it sooner. Yes, exactly. And, like, instead of just, like, immediately saying, hey, you're lazy, you need to try harder. Like, if if I came to the student who came to me with the bad paper and said, hey, you're a bad writer, you need to try harder. (laughs) It's like, that's not... Well, so then then I guess you get into the discussion of, is it the school, is it the teacher's responsibility to teach time management skills? Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, it is, but a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people, but some people would disagree with you on that. I think that in college, it's this whole, like, turning in late isn't as big a deal. True. Because... Absolutely true. Like, if you, like, 99% of the professors, I haven't had a professor who I'm, like, Basically, all of my professors, if I emailed them and said, like, hey, listen, I'm going through something or I just can't get this done for whatever reason, X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever happens to be, they would give me, like, an extension. Like, I can't yes. think of a professor that wouldn't do that in college because most of the time they're not going to grade it immediately either. And so, like, what's the point? So, like, if they need a couple extra days, fine. doesn't really matter. With younger, like, high school, middle school, though, I mean, because... I don't, well, I, don't, I guess I don't really know how teachers grade if they're like on a more strict grading schedule because like college, pro- college professors, they just need a grade by the end of the semester. That's all really they need. Yeah. You know? yeah. But like but, the lower you go in, in, ed- in education, the more frequent progress reports come out. Exactly. And, and so, so that's, you have to have, you have to have, you have to, report. you can't just say like, okay, hand it in by the end of the semester. Yeah. And you gotta also, be like, all right, I need like four grades by this point to show your progress. Exactly. Yeah. You're right, Phil. And also, like, assignments are due sooner. You know, like, if you turn in one late, well, you've, if you turn one three days late, well, there's three more assignments, you know? Mm-hmm. 
there's still there still has to be some sort of end due date, right? You know, anything. you know this is this is an an opportune time where Springborn's insight would be very valuable uh, because his mother teaches, I believe, I want to say elementary school, like upper elementary school history. Middle, middle school. Like, She's a middle school teacher. Is it middle school? Yep. She is middle school. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I'm wondering, cause obviously you would hope Springborn would be more familiar with that. And for those of you listening at home, in case you weren't sure what I meant by this, um, Springborn is our fifth host. Uh, and unfortunately he was unable to join us tonight. And I think I speak on behalf of all four of us when I say that we do sincerely hope that he will join us in the next episode. Um, but yeah, like I wish he was here so that we could maybe get a little bit of an insight to how a middle school teacher views it as opposed to how Jesse and I view it as future college teachers or how you guys are viewing it from the lens of being in college. Jesse and I high school. Sorry, misspoke. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? Just the different levels of education. Ooh, can I make a little point about middle schoolers? Um, sure. I was a middle schooler teacher. I oh, thought you said right. you were going to say you were a middle schooler. It's <laughs> yes, like, we yes, were all middle schoolers. We were all middle schoolers. <laughs> I was also confused for a second. I too was a middle schooler. But I Believe it or not, I did kids. spend time in middle school. I did, indeed. Skip middle school. Now, um, <laughs> I, I was reminded of this, John, when you told your story earlier about the kids playing rugby, your rugby coaching. Oh, yeah. And how when you were yeah. silly with them, they got silly with you and that was a problem. Yeah, just like the right timing for everything and whatnot. Yeah, it's super interesting because I find that I am like a totally different teacher when I when I teach middle schoolers versus when I teach high schoolers. Because interesting with middle schoolers, you know, like like middle schoolers, like I had to like work to keep my students sitting in their desks, right? Like that was a challenge. I needed to intentionally get them to sit in their desk to do their work. With high schoolers, more of a challenge that I've found is getting them to lift their head off of their desk. <laughs> and that's just, you know, so in high school, when I teach high schoolers, I have, I find myself being the most energetic person in the room and I want them to match that. I'm making jokes. I'm wanting them to be silly because that means engagement. Whereas with middle schoolers, like they're ready to engage. You know, you ask a question to a group of middle schoolers and 10 of them raise their hands, you know, and they'll just keep talking. Like, that's my experience with middle schoolers. With middle school, you had to be the calmest person in the room and kind of get them to that energy level. Yeah, that's actually a really good you point. You can guess I that I'm a much better high school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that shift from high school to middle school? Why suddenly? And you know what? It's I guess that's too. the next question, right? It's, <laughs> Phyllis, because we live in a society. We live in a society, gentlemen. Well, why is society like that? Why can't we just all be energetic all the time? Because who's got time for that? Real quick, my third point about Phil's um, people complaining about their papers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I think, or Snapchat, more likely. Yeah, I think you like make a really good point here, Phil. And like raise this really cool question. And I guess I'll just pose this. is like, if a student's doing poorly in school, whose responsibility is that? The student or the teacher? I think so... The student obviously has to put in effort, right? If a student's doing poorly, like, okay, yes. So I I don't mean to say that effort and hard work is everything, right? There is like natural talent and natural intelligence. And for some people, math is more easily understandable than history. Some people, history, all that stuff, right? But to some extent, the student does have to put in effort, right? To at least a little bit. And so if they're not putting in the effort to learn, then... That's that's on them and also the teacher, because the teacher should try and engage the student so that the student is 
feels like their effort, the big thing is that student feels like their effort matters and their effort makes sense because like a lot of, a lot of people I feel don't put in effort in certain subjects because they're like, what's the use of this subject? I'm never going to use the subject ever again. It doesn't matter if I learn or don't learn this. All I need to do is pass so that I can move on to the next grade level, right? And so it's partly on the job of the teacher to make it feel like the subject is also worth learning. So the student mm. wants to put in the effort as well, instead of just like putting in the bare minimum so you can get. Yeah, conte- contextualizing whatever you're learning. You know, so it's I think it's a double thing. Like the student has to put in the effort, but the also the teacher also has to try and make it so that the student wants to put in the effort. Jesse, I think the short answer to your question is it's always both. But if you want anything more specific, it's a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think I think always to some extent it's both on the student and the teacher. I will I will say about the time management thing was that it was always my belief that like the reason why in middle school and high school and for me this is mostly high school you have so much work is that your work ethic is part of your grade if not most of your grade like a lot of the homework assignments weren't really testing what you knew or what you'd learned it was just testing your ability to like complete something yeah to complete a task in a given amount of time and my thought was always oh well this is like the whole point of this process is to test your work ethic because like a lot of the ways that people make money after school is by you know meeting deadlines that just need to be met or else people get mad all right i want to i want to interject on that um Max, buddy, I love you. You're a fantastic guy, but that sounds kind of pretentious as all hell. Because uh, I no, there's there's definitely students that very much benefit from the homework, and not just in the oh, I'm managing my time better. There are definitely students where the concept that you're learning or whatever you're trying to memorize or whatever yeah, is no, for very sure, much for reinforced. Sure. And I feel I feel like that is the majority, and Max, you're the minority in that case. I, I like what you're saying, Max. I think, keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I always felt like, okay, after the first, like, two homework problems, the rest are just, I'm not learning anything new. I'm not reinforcing anything. I'm just doing busy work. And that's why a lot of times I listen to podcasts while I do homework, because I don't need to be paying attention, like, depending on what the homework is, obviously. But there were definitely a lot of, like, uh, lab assignments where, you know, I'd mm. get out a ruler and just, like, put on a podcast for an hour while I did all the straight edges and tables and significant figure calculations and stuff like i think that's probably the best example okay yeah that's a really good example of just busy work no one needs to actually box in your answer and i also and i also well it was also in college i was doing uh chemistry labs in microsoft word but it was the same thing where i had to format all these tables and uh right it was like 11 pages i had to do follow all these rules for what to put in and it, it was not hard and i listened to podcasts while i did them but okay so my counterpoint then would be like ap calc when, like, you're learning integrals, I'm not going to, like, I struggled in AP Calc, so I can speak from experience here. Me practicing one integral is not enough. I would have to do four or five. And so to have a bunch of problems assigned is better than just, like, one, because I'm still trying to learn the material. And so, I, again, saying that homework having more than just two questions is beneficial the in some is- cases. The thing is, did you ever do any more than what was assigned? Me? Yeah. No, because you know me, I try to walk the line between minimal effort and maximum grade. Right, well, see, that's the thing, because people always put in the minimum amount of effort, and it's it's because, like, you know, they they don't... 
And the thing is, like, if they, they don't want to learn, no one wants to learn calc- calculus unless you really yeah, want so to be like an force, engineer or something. You have to force people to learn calculus. But should or you? For, but should you force them that it's yeah, worth but learning? But should you force people to learn calculus? Okay, but then you're getting back into what the curriculum is. If we accept that we have to learn that calculus has to be taught, and that students don't want to learn it because they won't see how they how it applies to them, right? Your options are either convince them and show them how it applies in real life, which I guess. Almost happened in AP Calc with the wild examples that he had. Or what's more, what I think happens more frequently at least, is that you just assign more homework and you force them to do it to learn. Well, here's the thing. In high school, calculus was optional, right? You didn't have to take calculus. So should you, like, everyone who was in calculus signed up for calculus because they wanted to take it. So is it the teacher's responsibility then to force people to do something that they already signed up for? And if if they, you know don't want to look at the homework assignments, then they'll just do poorly on the test, and that's on them. Okay, but I didn't want to take calculus to learn calculus. I wanted to take AP Calc so that I didn't have to take calculus in college and could get to the more interesting things. So I still didn't want to learn calculus. I just wanted to get rid of it sooner. Your your question, Max, so like that goes right back to the question of whose responsibility is it for students to do well like is is it yeah. on the teacher or is the teacher just and yeah well i was gonna say i think that responsibility diminishes the further into education you go you know mm-hmm. college professors don't care how well you do like it's you're an adult at that point if you don't pay attention like they they shouldn't have to treat you like a child to make you pay attention they shouldn't have to class. force you to do assignments yeah, yeah. real quick about college I think it's super interesting that you make that point, Max. And I don't know if this is the type of school I go to or the discipline that I'm studying, but my professors, like, 100% care about how well I do. And, like, to the level of, like, being disappointed if I'm not doing well, like, visibly, you know? See, maybe, well, maybe it's just a difference, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but maybe it is a difference in, like, the more STEMI field you get into, like, the more, you know what I mean? I think it's probably a different attitude. I think it might also be a symptom of you go to a much larger school compared to us. That, yeah, that's also definitely true. I Can mean, I circle uh, back for a second? Is that okay? No. Go for it. Um, coming back to homework, because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. And as I said what I said, I realized that that contradicts like wholeheartedly with other things that I have said. And so I need to I need to rectify that. <laughs> rectify. As Shut up, Phil. <laughs> as a teacher, um, I don't want to have to assign homework like i don't i would love to have a to teach chemistry and none of my students actually have homework mandatory homework yeah mandatory homework because i feel like go like this kind of ties everything together a little bit i feel like it's my job to teach them in the time i'm given and if i can't do that that's my fault right so like homework for the sake of like learning shouldn't exist but so then max personally I will not do something if it's optional. And so that is much more reflective on me and my work ethic than it is on any teacher's ability to teach me. So if so t- trying to tie everything together. If if I am not getting it, I need to be forced to do more practice to get it cuz I will just not do it. And I think that that speaks to my effort more than a teacher's effort, my personal effort. If if I may jump in here, I still have another advantage of mandatory homework, meaning it's fine. The students can learn, right? Maybe the students learn a little bit low. Maybe the students learn about work ethic, whatever. But mandatory homework also gives the teacher an idea of what the students are doing well and poorly with. 
And so you don't wait until the test and find out that really half your class didn't understand integrals, but you can understand yeah. after the first homework. That's, well, know, so that's oh, that's just formative assessment. Integrals. For so let's say again. That's just formative assessment, which I'm sure Jesse knows. Well, yeah, all but about. but but homework can help accomplish that yeah. if you force them to do it homework can, and yes. then you look over it and you say, oh look, a lot of people are struggling with this type of problem, so let's go over it in class. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess I should clarify that when I said like the purpose of homework is to test work ethic. I I don't think, and I, I've never have thought that that is like the sole reason for homework. So Jesse, no, that, yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I want to add to the homework discussion mm -hmm. here a little, if I may, about um, mm -hmm. socioeconomic factors, especially in like early education. There's some really good research about homework. And if you think about it, like testing students, especially younger students, on whether or not they can complete homework isn't always testing work ethic, especially if you're talking about like eight-year-olds, right? Like, yeah, oh, definitely, eight-year-olds. So, th so that's that is why I clarify that it's like mainly in high school I felt this way. Yeah, um, because I completely agree with you, especially for younger kids. It's not a very fair mm -hmm. uh, indicator of like how no, interested they are. It's an indicator are, yeah. as to how well your parents are at creating space right. for you yeah. to do your homework at your house and encouraging that. And that's why, uh, honestly, like having like a difficult socioeconomic background, like being a parent and having financial struggles makes it a lot more difficult to be present with your child to do homework. And like, that's where those learning gaps start, you know? Like, think about it. The kids who were the lowest achievers in your second grade class were the lowest achievers in high school. Tell me that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, think about your second grade class. And it's like, that goes back to these, like, homework assignments, right? I really think that a lot of it goes back to these homework assignments that students literally, like, didn't have the same resources to complete, which is not fair. So, yeah. I, no, I'm yeah, the, definitely I'm not. I'm of the philosophy of even in high school of I wouldn't say no homework. I, I know good teachers who do no homework. I would say no next day homework, though. I think that's just something that's like mm. just yeah. for students it's to not expect that. No homework that's due the next day. No homework that's due. The well, next yeah, day. because at that point, like if, if you're trying to do time management, you can't right. reasonably expect somebody to fit it in. If you only give them 24 hours to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. testing anything. Yeah. You're just testing. How much time do you have on this particular day? Yeah, it's like, here, scramble to fit this into your schedule, and that's it. Like, can you do that? Whereas, like, if it's like, all right, this is due in a week, and you know that it's due in a week because it's always due on Friday, figure out your schedule, that's testing time management. I really think that we should do monthly episodes. Maybe not monthly, but we should plan scheduled episodes to talk about school curriculum and like do one episode and, a, and avoid it all other days. <laughs> What'd you say? And avoid it all other yes, days. Yes, correct. But we should do one episode <laughs> per school subject. And we can like do research. Okay. Oh, we now, should like indulge now, ourselves. Yeah, can I get the sarcastic version, Jesse? What's up? Can I get the sarcastic version now? No, I'm just kidding. Uh -huh, yes. No, I want to do that, actually. Well, so wait. First of all, first of all, my first reaction is, if we're going to do it like that, can we please name the episodes the same way Community does it, where we name it after the class? Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, like, we already have Global Civics 101, and we're going to have EDS 223 with this one. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah, if, if we do it like that, then I'm more on board. 
Because that way, like, with the naming convention, that way people could be like, oh, it's one of these episodes, and skip it. Hey, boys, can we do a countdown? I gotta get to bed. Sure. Okay, yeah. You ready? Yep. Five, four, three, three two, two, one, one and go. go. All right, peace out, boys. All right. Good, good night, night Jesse. Jesse. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks for good talk. Happy birthday. Cheers. Happy birthday.